Part two, chapter eleven of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part two, chapter eleven. Under fire. With the one thought of getting out of London, Mary Gish and her daughters went to Cambridge. But Cambridge, too, had been raided. At night, streets and houses were pitch dark. No anti-aircraft guns. No protection of any sort. Two nights satisfied them. They returned to London, where for ten days it was quiet enough. Then, one morning, Mrs. Gish, Lillian, and Dorothy were awakened from sound sleep by a terrific explosion. They ran to the windows. Coming up the Thames, in perfect formation, were twenty German planes, flying in what seemed a slow and majestic manner, dropping bombs as they came. They were so low that one could distinguish the crosses on the underside of their wings. Mrs. Gish and her daughters watched them, fascinated. Were they afraid? Undoubtedly they were, with death hovering in the air, likely to come plunging down at any moment. Not many of the race, a race blessed or cursed with imagination, could be wholly indifferent. The rest of the party, Griffith, Bobby Heron, and Gottlieb Wilhelm Bitzer, came crashing in. They supposed the planes would drop bombs on Waterloo Station, and especially on the Hotel Cecil, headquarters of the English Flying Corps, its roof covered with anti-aircraft guns. The Cecil was near them, next door. Nothing of the kind happened. The German planes, undisturbed by the shells fired at them, circled slowly around the Houses of Parliament without dropping a bomb, then turning, left London. This was on Saturday, July 8, 1917. The papers next morning reported 37 dead, 141 wounded, numbers probably minimized. The Griffith party was shaken, dazed. It seemed incredible that in a world supposedly civilized such things could happen. There was no longer any rest. Raids came at night and in relays. One followed another, two and three in one night. They were meant to break the English morale. The first night raid was by glorious moonlight. Mrs. Gish, Lillian, and Dorothy, sitting in their apartment about ten, heard a distant booming, then a far-off voice calling, Take cover! Take cover! They merely sat there, while the bombing came closer and closer, with aircraft guns going. By and by it was over. Next morning they heard that less damage had been done than before, but enough. About two nights later, as the girls stood in front of a dressing-table, in their nightgowns, Mrs. Gish already in bed, there came from just under their windows such an explosion as could not be described in words. The electric lights in the bathroom went out. Windows were shattered. They rushed into the hall. All on that floor were there, in wild confusion. They called to one another that the hotel had been struck. Then, from outside, came a man's scream. They had never realized how terrible a man's scream could be. Cries and groans followed. They stared their inquiry into one another's faces. The bomb, they learned, had struck just by Cleopatra's needle, a few yards distant. It had hit a tram and killed eleven persons, wounding many others. The conductor had had his legs blown off. It was he who had screamed, no doubt. 
Other bombs had fallen nearby. One on the little theater on Adelphi Terrace, another at the Piccadilly Circus, still another by Charing Cross Hospital. They had heard none of these, because of the concussion in their ears from the one that had fallen beneath their windows. Lillian and Dorothy crept into one bed, shaking, unable to sleep. At four they got up, dressed, and saw the dawn breaking over London, workmen going to their jobs. On the street they found that many windows had been blown from shops, the glass so finely shattered that it was like snow. The girls said little, but listened to the comments of the working people, comments not pleasant to hear. The raids now came regularly. The nights became hideous nightmares. Lillian and her mother seemed to get their nerve back. When the raids came, they would take their pillows and go into their little foyer to try to get away from the noise. Dorothy took her pillow, too, but she did not sit on it. She hugged it. Finally, it was September. They had been there three months. You cannot imagine, Neil, what terrible things those big things in the sky are, dropping death wherever they go. If this war would only end, I am still here, and will live to see you and Tom and the babies again, in spite of it, so don't worry. Lillian went out a good deal, and as was her habit, made a study of the people, to see how they acted under the stress and agony of war. She went to the Waterloo Station, to watch them saying goodbye. Always she was watching, on the street, everywhere. End of Part 2, Chapter 11